You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Father, we thank you for today and we, we come uh, with that attitude of our hearts. We just want to worship you. Thank you for the beautiful song that, uh, that we as a choir have been able to sing today. Father, hopefully it's been a, just a, a pleasing, fragrant offering to you. And may this time be as well as we open up your word as we uh, open up our hearts and we just ask your spirit to move, may you do a great and a mighty work in us and then because of it out into the world. So bless this time. It's yours, Father, in your name. Amen. Morning. You can have a seat. Thanks for being here today. We're, we're in the middle. It's a little bit of a, of a, of a different day. We're getting our, our feelers out. We're just for the summer. We've taken just a, a little bit of a break. We're uh, going to resume our third service at 1130 come uh, after Labor Day, and so we're uh, you're getting to see some maybe some familiar faces you haven't seen in a while. Uh, thanks for bending and flexing with us. If you're on TV today, thanks for bending and flexing with us. We we got preempted, I guess, on one channel by Major League Baseball, uh, and then you had to tune to Me TV, where I feel pretty good about us because we preempted Saved by the Bell. So yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yep. I'm I'm not as popular. Uh, as a baseball player, but I guess we're a little bit better than Screech, right? So um, it works for us, right? Uh, In the movie musical Fiddler on the Roof, uh, the movie begins with an explanation about tradition. And uh, Tevye, the, the milkman, says, without our traditions, we would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. And throughout, as that, as that opening song goes in between music and words, he begins to explain how, how this small little Jewish village in the early 1900s, in the middle of Russia, were, were living their lives. Then they're living their lives the way they always have, and the way that, that those that have come before them have, and those that have come before them have. We just stick true to tradition. It keeps our community in balance. He says, never changing, doing it the same. And then the song, as he sings, says, man goes to work to provide for his family, and then he goes and spends time reading the holy book. The the wife uh, tends to the home and manages the home so that she can do what God wants her to do and that her husband would have time to go and study the holy book, that the sons could grow up taking Hebrew school so that one day they could do the same thing as their fathers and, then, and, and the daughters that they would grow up uh, to live into and be the wives that they need to be for their prearranged marriages uh, that their, the fathers have for them. Tradition. This is just who we are and what we do. And then Tevye goes on to say, he says, we have traditions for everything, how to eat, how to sleep, what to wear. We wear hats on our heads. We wear prayer shawls under our clothes to show our devotion to God. And then he says, you might ask how our traditions started. And he looks at the camera and he says, I will tell you, I don't know. He says, all I know is that we do these traditions so that everyone can know who they are and what God expects them to do. Today, as we not only recognize what this weekend is and Memorial Day tomorrow and remembering the the sacrificial lives given so so that we could live free in this country, that we could come and we can worship 
freely, that we could proclaim the name of Jesus out in the streets and everywhere that we go. We're grateful for those that have given their lives. We also today pause to, uh, to acknowledge that we've got a lot of high school graduates uh, that, that some have already graduated. I survived, by the way. Um, and, and today, uh, hundreds uh, of, of high school graduates that will go out uh, into the world, moving from one chapter of life to the next. And, and, and I mention this because uh, as a parent uh, that has now had two kids grow up and are ready now to launch out into the world, it's been my prayer, as well as I know for all of you that are parents, it's been your prayer that your children would grow up not just to be uh, great citizens in society, but we as believers, we want to raise our kids to be living examples, models, and lovers of Jesus Christ. And then taking that message out into the world. What, what we don't want, something that I always was questioning myself, not just as a, as a dad, but as a pastor, I don't want my kids to grow up to just, their faith to just be the routine that, that dad hopes for them, right? That they think that dad expects. That some, some facade they have to put on because they sit in the front row at, at church. That's right, I pointed you out. Uh, right? we, we want our kids to have a faith of their own, not just going through the motions and not just living into a tradition, but, but into a real faith that their heart is dedicated to. Do, do you know? We, we all have to ask ourselves this question. Do you know why you do what you do? When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to your faith, a lot of us can get, can get so, become numb to the routine that it just becomes exactly that. It's just action. But there's not a heart behind it. We just go through the motions. And none of these things are wrong, but a lot of times I've even, I've, I've gotten myself caught up in these. A devotional here, gotta, gotta get up, gotta do my devotions Right? And then, oh, I got to make sure that I, that I get to Bible study. And then I got to make sure that we make, make it to church. That we say grace before a meal. All great things. But do we understand it? Does it come from the heart? Is it a, a why? Because if, if we just see it as tradition, if we just see it as routine, that it's something that's a part of our lives, then what happens? We all know what happens. It's kind of like when I was in high school and played baseball, and when you were pitching, or even if you were just playing out in the field, and, and you got your three outs, and you're going up to bat, and you run into the dugout. Anybody who knows baseball, if you're, as you're running from the playing field into the dugout, what do you never do? Shout it out. You never step on the foul baseline, right? On the first baseline or the third baseline. Why? It's superstition. You don't want to blow the game. You can ruin it for everybody. If you step on that line, then it's because it's just spoken of and it's, it's tradition. And we oftentimes do that with our faith, that we take these things that we're not really sure why people are saying we need to do them, but we just do them for the sake of it. And then what ends up happening is, well, we, we got to go to church because we, we want to have a good week. And we think that it's not about what happens here, but it's just us walking through the door that God's going to go, oh, great job. I'm going to bless you with so many things this week because you showed up somewhere, because you went and served somebody. And in reality, what we're going to look at in the Scripture today and next week, because there's a big text and it expands, is that God's looking for a heart that is devoted to Him, not just action where we end up like Tevia just going, I don't, I don't know why we do it, but it worked for everybody in the past. 
So I'm just going to keep doing it. The proper why matters. As we continue to study through the life of Jesus, walking through the book of Matthew, it's all about the why. It's about the what, but, it, but it's about the why. Why? Because, because we are called to be living examples of Jesus out in the world. We are called to grow to be like Christ. It's called the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Him every day until the day that we see Him face to face. We want to grow. And so we study the book of Matthew because we're like, well, if we have to be like Jesus, if we're called to be like Jesus, then we better know him intimately as much as we possibly can. So we're doing this deep dive slowly through the book of Matthew to go, if that's how he lived, then that's how I want to live. At the same time, Jesus called us to also go and make disciples, to go and to show people who he is and to show them how to live. And and if we're going to do that, then we've got to study and know the greatest disciple maker of all time. And so we dig deep into the life of Jesus to say, if that's how he did it, then that's how I want to do it. And we also see in it Jesus and his intimate relationship with the Father that we're called to grow into as well. And so we desire deeply to bring God glory. So we study his word to know what it is that he wants us to do. And if we miss all of this, then it's just what? It's just going through the motions for nothing. And that's not what God wants us to do with our lives. Nothing. He wants us to grow in our relationship with Him. So here's what happens uh, in, uh, in our text as we're moving through. Jesus has been with the disciples. He's been with the people. We've seen incredible miracles. And now there's this moment, right? Because every time that there's, we all know this, every time there's a mountaintop experience where, man, God did something great. Five loaves and two fishes fed 20-some thousand people. Peter walks on water. Jesus walks on water. A storm calms. All of this is happening, and then all of a sudden, right, here come the Karens. Uh, let, let's, let's stand as I, no offense to anybody named Karen here at all. I, I didn't mean it that way at all. Uh, but this is what happens. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me expand on this and explain it a little bit so that we understand it better. As we talk about today, about about doing nothing. In other words, just empty living, tradition. Nothing's wrong with tradition unless we allow that to become our faith and, and, and really the meat of our faith. So we open it up and Jesus has, has really begun now to get the religious leaders upset. It's because, uh, first of all, the things that he's teaching are not the, the way that they teach. They, they, they see some of the things that he's saying uh, as sacrilegious But he's gaining a crowd through all of it. Remember, Jesus has been teaching, you've heard it said, but now I say to you. In other words, your religious leaders have taught you this. But I'm telling you, they haven't told you the whole story. I haven't told you that. What I'm telling you is that what they're saying is 
is not fully right. And so it's starting to really get the Pharisees upset. And every time that he's preaching these messages, he really kind of calls them out for their religion rather than an actual faith. So now, all of a sudden, here come the, the religious elite. They're coming all the way from Jerusalem, meaning they're really starting to get upset at this uprising, this, this movement. Jesus is gaining a crowd, and, and as we know, the crowd, the larger it gets, is a threat to the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders only get to be in leadership as long as the Romans allow them to. And the only way the Romans are going to allow them to stay in power and kind of have their small power that they do is that there can't get to be too big of a crowd. People can't be turning the world upside down like Jesus is. So they've got to squash it. So they come all the way from Jerusalem, meaning that these are probably the most pious, most elite of the religious leaders, and they confront Jesus. They want to know, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands when they eat? Now, if we don't understand culture, if we don't understand what's going on here, we might go, I kind of got that question too, right? Why wouldn't anybody wash their hands uh, before uh, they eat? Um, but in, in the parallel text, if you read in Mark chapter 7, uh, it's kind of a longer uh, expansion on how Matthew explains this, this interaction, um, but uh, what they were really saying is that why are they eating with hands that have been defiled? In other words, they're just going, why are they sinning in what they're doing, in disobedience to God? In rabbinic Judaism, tradition was binding and it had the full force of the law. The, the law of washing hands was not actually given by God. It wasn't a biblical mandate. This was an add-on. This was oral law. So as we often talk about, that, that as people didn't have the written word in Jesus' day, and so you trusted the word of your teachers, your religious leaders. And so what was happening is, is that they would take a passage and they would say, well, this is how I interpret it. This is what I mean by it. And a lot of the, the higher-ups in Judaism would sit around and, and they would want to, what they call, place a hedge around Scripture. In other words, here's the law that God gave, gave us, but to make sure that we don't break that law, let's make other laws. And it just kind of grew out of control to where people started obeying all these laws that weren't even biblical, but at the same time thought that they were honoring God when in reality they were doing nothing whatsoever. And Jesus is confronted about one of these laws. Why aren't they, why are their hands defiled? that they're eating from. What we need to understand is that this had nothing to do with hygiene whatsoever. This had to do with tradition. This had to do with a man-made law. It was called nedelat yedayim in Hebrew. It just means the washing of hands. And it, it takes place even to this day. There's nothing wrong with it. But even to this day, it takes place in, uh, in, in Judaism is that there is a, there's a cup. It's got two handles on it. It sits by the sink. Uh, if you travel to Israel, you find these fountains kind of everywhere, and they've got these cups on chains so that they don't disappear. And, and you make a fist, and you pour the water over uh, your hand, then you change the handles, and you pour water over this fist, and you do it three times. And then while you're doing it, you pray the prayer. The, Blessed be the God of the universe who gives us bread to eat and commands us to wash our hands. That's the prayer that is prayed. The problem is... God never commanded his people to wash their hands before they ate. Now, kids, don't use that against mom and dad, right? You're not allowed to. Um, because if, if God had given it as a command, 
then to not do it would be a sin. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is actually invited to a Pharisee's house. And he goes and he sits down and he just starts eating. It says the Pharisee was deeply offended because Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. Again, kids, uh, don't use that, that Jesus as the example. Um, but because Jesus was proving a point. He, this is tradition. This is, this is empty religious rule following. This isn't God's word. And if Jesus, if it had been God's word, Jesus would have been what? He'd been guilty of sin. And so we know that it's not God's command, but that's the prayer that's prayed. We wash our hands because God, you've commanded it. And that's just because it was passed down generation after generation and people just accepted it and they believed that, that the washing of their hands was actually doing something in their relationship with God. Now, if, again, if their heart's in it, then possibly it does. But we know that if we just do things in routine over and over and over and over again, it loses all of its power and can easily lose its understanding of why we do it in the first place. So why then? Where did this washing of hands come from? Well, since the early days of the temple, that was actually it was a command given to the priests as they were preparing for their holy work in the temple. There was out back behind each uh, of the behind the temple, as well as some synagogues. There was a mikvah or a baptistry that the priests would dip themselves in, so that they would come out. And when they do the work of God, they were ceremonially cleansed. So also it was understood that uh, the priests oftentimes lived off of food that was donated by the local people. And if there was bread donated, that came from a farmer who worked the field and and grew the, the grain and it was harvested and somebody's hands worked that bread and it was baked and it was brought to them. And so rather than go dip themselves in the mikvah because it was seen as, an whole, as a holy act to eat of bread that was given as a gift, then they started to have a ceremonial washing of the hands. And over time, over the years, uh, the people began to think, well, if the priests do it, then we should do it as well. And as he actually has a deep, really great deep understanding that, that, that at nowadays, as that prayer is prayed, it's an understanding that um, I'm humbling myself before God, and, I, and this is a ceremonial showing you, God, that, that I'm washing away any arrogance that I have of myself. That I understand that this food that is before me has been given uh, from you to me. That I, even though I may have worked for it, even though I may have baked it or may have grown it, I know that ultimately even the energy to do that comes from you. And so it's this idea of a washing away of, of pride and arrogance and a full submission to God. And that's great. However, what the Pharisees had done had made it law. And they're questioning Jesus and his disciples on it. How dare you? How dare you not wash your hands? Because God told you you were supposed to, and Jesus is, is basically saying you're, you're not correct. There's an old story of a, of a poor elderly man in a village in the mountains in China, and he loved God and, and true devotion to God. And every morning, he didn't have much, but every morning when he woke up, before he ate his breakfast, he would take it, he would set it in the windowsill, and, and he would just kneel down and he would pray before God, thanking him for, for what he's given, as little as it was, praising God for who he was. People admired him as he walked around town. They wanted to be like him. He was just a, a, seemed to be, there's something different about him. Well, there was a, a great famine that spread through the area. 
and people didn't have much to eat, and yet he wanted to continue with his devotion, and so all he had left in his house was a little bit of butter. So every morning he would just take a small little bit of butter and put it in a dish, and he would put it in the window to thank God for what it is that he had. One day he bowed his head and he was in prayer deeply, and he looked up and his cat was sitting in the window and had eaten his butter. And so he took the cat and he tied a rope uh, around it and tied it to the bedpost. And, and, uh, and that's where the cat was during his daily quiet time with God as he, the next day, a little bit of butter, put it in, thank you, God, for, for what it is that you've given me. This is, it's all from you. This is yours. When the man died, passed away, the villagers had just admired him so much that people came back generations later and every home in the village, every morning, had a pat of butter in the window, and every home had a cat tied to their bedpost. And nobody knew why. <laughs> it's just what you did, right? And, and isn't that like us so often? Uh, I, I find myself getting caught up in that all the time. Like, why, why, am, I, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the right reasons? Or, or am I doing this just because it's always been done? We're, we're kind of known for that as Baptists. The Pharisees, uh, washing their hands was seen as, uh, as holy, uh, and not washing it was, was sin. It was defilement, but they didn't pay attention to the why. And in reality, they were really just doing it for nothing. Routine thinking they were doing something right, thinking that God was applauding them for the way that they were living when their hearts weren't in it. And that's what Jesus questions. Malachi 1.6, God is, is really reprimanding His people. And He says, what I'm noticing is that every one of your sacrifices that you're bringing to me is not the best of the best. You're just giving me the leftovers. I've asked for the best of the best. I want your first fruits, and you're just giving me what you don't want. And, and God says, a son, even a son honors his father. And he says, am I not your father? That I don't deserve honor? In other words, that I don't deserve your best? That I don't deserve what I've asked for? And interesting thing about this is Jesus doesn't scold them for washing their hands. He he just answers their question. Why don't your disciples wash, uh, wash their hands before they eat? Jesus responds with another question. He takes it to a deeper level about the way that they're living and how it's wrong. And he says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You found ways. Really what he's saying is washing of hands is not, is not a command of God, but but the actual commands given by God, you found your way around them. So tell me about that. How does that work? That you make tradition law and you make law tradition or even worthless. In Mark, he's a little bit more straightforward with them. In chapter 7, verse 9, his response is, you sure have a fine way of rejecting God's commands, right? You've really found a pretty fancy way around having to obey what God wants you to obey in order to establish a tradition for yourself, Jesus says. He says, because God has commanded you that you honor your father and mother. That's uh, one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 12. 
And then he says, and also God had said that anybody who reviles his parents or anybody who dishonors them or disrespects them deserves to die. Right? That, that's, that's one of God's laws because God said this is, the, the hierarchy of things points everybody to me and an understanding of what it means to submit to my authority and to follow what it is that I want from you. So we're given parents not just to raise us but to be examples for us. And our response is supposed to always be thank you. And, and we honor them and we respect them because in doing so, God's saying you are, you're being obedient to me. But Jesus questions them and says, basically, you're not honoring any of these commands. And you're the religious leaders. And, and you've, you've made laws to be able to allow yourself to break God's laws. There's a word that's used, we only find it a few times in Scripture. In Greek and Hebrew, it's the same. It's korban. And it means gift or treasure. And it was also the word that was used to describe the location of, uh, of the treasury inside of the temple in Jerusalem. And so as people brought their offerings uh, to God, it was stored in the korban. And so you were bringing a korban, you are bringing a gift, and then it was stored in the korban, in the treasury in the temple. Now, the Pharisees, being the religious elite, were allowed, they allowed themselves to be able to live a little bit off of taking out of the treasury, so of the, the, the korban. And so if you're going to make sure that, that that system works for you, then you've got to find a way to convince the people that it was okay to keep filling up the treasury. Honoring your parents it was not just about showing them respect and not talking back to them. But in ancient times, it was also about, it was about taking care of them to repay them for how they raised you and took care of you. So in their older age, you were all still living on the same compound in the same houses. And so it was up to you to now you were working not just to provide for your family, your wife and kids, but also you would provide for your parents. That was a huge, one of the biggest ways that you could honor them. And, and Jesus says, but you've, you've found a way around that. And they did. And it was called, it was really called the Korban. And it was that the rabbis have said, well, uh, here's what you can do. Uh, if, if you want to keep the money for yourself and you don't want to give it to your parents, then all you have to do, this was the actual law that they came up with, the oral law. All you have to do is tell your parents, I would use this money to take care of you, but it's God's. And, and so it's, it's for the treasury. And, and then the law ended there. It didn't say that you had to go put it in the treasury. It just said that you just had to tell them that's what it was for. And then you didn't have to use it to care for anybody else. You could just line your pockets with it. This is what Jesus is calling out. He, he, he's saying to them, like, look, you, you, you make tradition law and then you take God's law and you change it just so that you can feel good about yourself. You can have more for yourself. What you've done is you've made void the word of God in your life. That's, that's what Jesus says of them. Creating rules by fallible men rejected and ignored God's infallible word. And that tradition, obviously, Jesus is saying is extremely wrong. Proverbs 35 and 6 says, every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not, that means never, add to his words, 
lest he rebuke you and call you a liar. We do not get permission to add anything to Scripture ever. No matter how much we think it's going to suit us or make us better people, we're given the Word of God, infallible Word of God, inspired by Him, by the Holy Spirit, for us to obey all of it in its entirety. We don't get to toss some of it out because it doesn't fit for us, and we definitely don't get to add to it. But that's the confusion that these religious leaders had done. I love what David says, Psalm 119.9. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how can we live the life that God wants us to live? And he says, by guarding it according to your word. If God's word is going to guard us to live the life that we're supposed to live, then we have got to trust that we, everything we need to live is told to us in here. We don't need to add to it. He goes on to say, I store up your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. God's word is absolute truth. It is the highest authority that we have on how we are to live our lives and to understand who God is. And God's word is enough. We don't need any more. Oftentimes, if we don't like it, we in some way blame God for it. Well, I don't really think that he explained it very well, so I'll, let me tell you what this means. We, we start to rewrite law, Scripture, for ourselves. We're not allowed to change God's Word to fit our desires, especially if they are outside of the will of God. We do not get to say and interpret what Scripture is to fit our culture and the world that we live in today. And so Jesus is saying, look, you as religious leaders, how dare you care so much about something that doesn't matter and you actually add to God's word to say that this is actually what God wants you to do when in reality that's sin. It goes directly against his word. And then he, he calls them out by using the prophet Isaiah. He, he just says, look, you're just doing the same thing that people did hundreds of years ago. It's become tradition for you to change God's word, to change to, to not care about it, and to be disobedient. And you've made it empty to yourselves because that's what happens. It just becomes something that doesn't matter anymore when we decide we get to change it. And he says, you hypocrites, which is a harsh word to use on a Pharisee. It, it comes from... Uh, this idea of one who, uh, one who lies under a mask, an actor, who speaks lines that he doesn't really mean, and he hides from everybody. He's living two different lives. And Jesus says, it was well of Isaiah to pro prophesy about you. And he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. This people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vanity they worship me. In other words, they're only going through the motions to make themselves look good. And they teach as doctrines the commands of men. Or in other words, claiming that these rules that man made are, are, are truth. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah, before Jesus ever exists, the prophet Isaiah is sent by God to reprimand the people for the lives that they were living. They've fallen into a love of, of the world and material possessions and concerns, so concerned with the things of the world, they became insensitive to God and what it is that He wanted of them. They'd forgotten and He didn't even care about the presence of God in their lives. 
And they became blind to everything that was going on in their midst. And so God goes on to say, as he, as he through Isaiah, uh, speaks this word of their own vanity, that they're, they're, they're given lip service, but their hearts are disconnected. And he goes on to say, the wisdom of your wise men will perish. It, it will come to an end because it's empty. It doesn't mean anything. Because you've turned things upside down, God said. And he said, what you've done is you've now, you've now said you're the potter and God is the clay. And, and whatever you want to happen, you get to mold and shape God into the image that you need to what you think make yourself happy. And God says, you will pay a price for that. The clay will say to the potter, you didn't make me. Or, or even says, Isaiah says, or you... You didn't know what you were doing when you made me, and so I need to change it. Does this sound familiar 2,000 years later in the day and age we live in today? Well, I don't really like what the Bible says about who I am and my identity because that's not how I feel. So guess what? I get to tell God, you didn't know what you were doing when you made me, so I get to declare who I am, what I am, and mold and shape myself into my own image of what I want. And in reality, what we're doing is we say, I, I want to be more, I'm more important than God. My truth matters more than his truth. Jesus said it. Isaiah said it. God said it. It all comes down to this. Their heart is far from me. They're going through the motions, but there's no love for me. Rabbi Tuli Weiss, uh, who has written, wrote the, the Israel Bible, got some great commentary in it. He says, uh, unfeeling robotic observance has no value whatsoever. God wants our external actions that correspond with internal feelings that are united in Him. In other words, God just wants our, he wants our hearts. Yes, He wants our actions, but when we talk about love in Scripture, that's what it is. Love is not just a feeling. Love is activity. It's action. God, I love you, meaning I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to walk in obedience, and I'm going to strive to be the person that you want me to be. I will lay myself down for you. He wants our hearts to be dedicated, devotion of Him, not an empty devotion of just activity that's some way supposed to grab a hold of God's heart that's going to cause Him to applaud. In Fiddler on the Roof, the, the, the storyline is, is this battle between tradition and, and, and a little bit of change. And Tevi is so stuck in his tradition, he can't even think outside that there might be something different and that it's not maybe not even the way that they have to live. And it comes through his daughters who decide that they don't want prearranged marriages. They want to be able to love the men that they love and that love them back. And it's this battle that they, that they have in this entire village that starts to really cause an uprising. But in the end, he goes to his wife, who's pretty hard-hearted, and he just says to her, he says, Honey, love is the new style, right? This is, this is what it's all about. It's about love. For us as believers, we know that, that that's, that's all that it's about. It's about a God who so loved the world that He gave His Son, who loved us as well enough that He laid down His life. He loved the Father enough that He laid down His life in obedience for us, that we could be in a relationship with Him forever, that our sin could be tossed away and forgotten about, and that grace and mercy would come upon us, and we, in turn, 
love him back and we love others out of it. Because of the great gift that God has given to us, we want to pass it on to others. It's love, not tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition as long as it doesn't take the place of love, as long as we don't see what we're doing, going to church every Sunday, right? Going to Bible study, doing our, we don't see that as, well, I just have to do it, otherwise something bad's going to happen to me, or God's not going to be happy with me. God wants our heart first. And then all of this stuff that we do isn't routine, and it doesn't become numb to us because we're passionately in love with a Savior who passionately loved us, and we just say, I'm all in. Whatever it is that, that, I'm, that you desire for me, I will see it as a gift to you. Not as a routine. God doesn't want empty formalism. He wants your heart so much that he gave his son for it. Will we receive it? And will we give it away? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we give you great praise for who you are. God, we read these these moments, these episodes that happen in the life of Jesus. And so often, we want to root against the Pharisees, but at the same time, God, I find myself so pharisaical at times. Help us, Father, to never go through the motions in this life, but to always be asking, God, what is it that you want from me? Help us to understand, as James tells us in chapter 4, scriptures serve a purpose to lead us, to guide us, direct us, to draw us near to you, and you say, if we do that, you draw near to us. So, Father, out of obedience to your word, we listen to James who said, so wash your hands, but purify your hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. Help us to live into it. We love you. We're grateful for you. God, may we live this life to honor you each and every day. In your name, amen. Let's stand and close in worship.